Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good, very cold morning and welcome to Coffee and Football presented by John Donovan and Longhorn Wealth Management Group. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined each and every morning by CJ Vogel and Bobby Burton. And guys, a lot went down this weekend, a lot of news. It was just like bam, 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 kind of like the end of last week. And uh, it started with Bond, Isaiah Bond. And uh, let's talk about that for a minute as he's now the Longhorns' newest commit. What an addition. I mean, you talk about speed and ability to take the top off of a defense. It's exactly what Isaiah Bond brings to the table. Uh, and, and versatility as well. He had, you know, 58% of his snaps were from the slot at, uh, at Alabama uh, this past season. So it opens up the door for Texas to move in a lot of wide receivers in and out of that offense. We talked about Isaiah Bond, Jontae Cook, Matthew Golden. Uh, that's a, a wide receiver group right now, not to mention Ryan Wingo and the freshman group as well, who can come in and be very versatile. You can move them all around, disguise a lot of tendencies and looks with Steve Sarkeesian's offense. It's a it's a tremendous addition. Uh, I believe he's the number one uh, wide receiver in the portal this offseason. I think the number two overall player by on three as well. So quite the addition and, and, and someone that he said, He's looking forward to playing with a very high draft pick in Quinn Ewers, and he's looking forward to being a high draft pick as well. So though he does have multiple years of eligibility left, this is looking like it's going to be a one-and-done situation. Another wide receiver from Texas entering the NFL after 2024, something that probably was uh, maybe a question mark if Texas was going to continue to produce the NFL-caliber guys year in and year out. Bond is looking like he will continue the trend set by uh, Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, and A.D. Mitchell from 2023. So, a huge addition, another toy for Steve Sarkeesian, and a big-time uh, addition to the offense and a target for Quinn Ewers. I just love what you said about the versatility. Uh, you know, we we talked about Adonai Mitchell and Jordan Whittington kind of had definitive positions within Steve Sarkeesian's offense. Uh, a guy like Isaiah Bond, a guy like Matthew Golden, even a guy like Jonte Cook are kind of positionless. You can move them around. They're they're not predestined to be on the outside or only a speed demon like worry. I mean, they they have some some flexibility to them. So you're not going to necessarily know where they're coming from. And my first thing, I, you know, Blake, when you said things are going down in Austin, I was I thought you were talking about the thermometer. Um, <laughs> it is. I mean, look, these people. It is cold, like cold upon yeah. cold uh, right now. I've seen some. I think the lowest I've seen so far is seven degrees. Is that right? Holy yeah. cow. Uh, stay yeah. warm. Uh, make sure ERCOT doesn't mess you up. I'll put it that way <laughs> today. Um, uh, but uh, it was, certainly was hot on the 40 acres uh, with, in Steve Sarkeesian's office. Not only him, uh, but Silas Bolden, the wide receiver out of Oregon State, visited Texas as well. He's told multiple outlets now that he's also leaning to Texas. Now, interestingly, he's also scheduled to visit USC, Washington, and Arizona. Well, Washington and Arizona is now up in the air because – the Arizona head coach on Sunday took the Washington head job. So they could just try to get him to go to, to, to Washington instead of Arizona, et cetera. 
so we'll have to wait and see what that exactly means. Uh, but uh, Silas Bolden, uh, definitely impressed by his time in, in Austin. He is not a midterm graduate like uh, our midterm uh, enrollee like uh, Isaiah Bond. Instead, he's a summer uh, grad of uh, Oregon State and then will be a grad transfer uh, at that time wherever he goes. Kendrick Blackshire, the linebacker out of Alabama, also was in over the weekend. Uh, not sure yet whether or not Texas is pushing for that commitment at this point. Uh, so uh, we'll have to wait and see. Some other uh, portal news that I think is huge. Amari Nyblack, uh, the tight end out of Alabama, went into the portal uh, yesterday afternoon. Uh, Texas would certainly have interest in him. He's kind of the quintessential prototype for Steve Sarkeesian. 6'4", 235, uh, can run like a deer. Uh, had that big, long touchdown reception against Texas. Uh, so people are familiar with him. Uh, then there's also Ben Urisich, uh, the tight end out of Stanford that visited Georgia over the weekend. Uh, Texas and Georgia expected to be the finalists for him. He does not graduate, though, from Stanford until March. Uh, so he would not be able to be on campus until June. All right, guys, we had some other big news that went down this weekend and uh, something that, you know, had kind of been happening behind the scenes for a little bit now, but it was made public over the weekend. And that's that Coach Akina has returned to Texas from Arizona. So Bobby, I'm going to let you start on this one. Tell us a little bit about the role that he'll be filling. Yeah, it, so we don't know the exact role at this point. We just know it's going to be an off-the-field assistant uh, as an analyst. Uh, you see his timeline there. Spent 13 years at Texas. Developed six first-round draft picks. I, I think 14 draft picks in all uh, over those 13 years. Uh, just a tremendous coach. Uh, had a guy named Chris McAllister at Arizona, by the way. Uh, that was a tremendous player. Played quarterback at Washington. Backed up Warren Moon, uh, believe it or not, back in the day uh, at University of Washington. Uh, but uh, really got started in the coaching business uh, with a guy named Dick Tomey uh, at the University of Hawaii. Dwayne's a, a native. He's an Islander. Uh, and Dick Tomey was the head coach at Hawaii, then went to Arizona. Dwayne followed him there. Uh, he has only been at four different really big places in the last 40 years of his coaching career. I mean, think about how rare that is in these day and age where you look at coaches that are almost nomads. Uh, he spent five years um, or excuse me, eight years at Stanford with David Shaw after leaving Texas. Uh, then back at Arizona last year uh, as an off the field analyst. Uh, Dwayne's now 67 years old. Uh, he coached Blake Gideon uh, back in the day. Uh, so he's going to be a good uh, fit for this uh, for this coaching staff. He is a coach's coach and a player's coach at the same time. Uh, that is a rare feat. Uh, Rod Babers talked about it last night on our live stream. Uh, he's a guy that uh, just gets along with everybody, has a positive attitude in the building each and every day. Uh, Blake, I got to tell you, I, I think that that's this is a big deal for Texas from a culture standpoint. Uh, I think that uh, you know it's it's somebody that. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian keeps adding uh, pieces to the puzzle. Uh, he and uh, Coach Akina and Coach Nansen got to be close while at Arizona, by the way. Uh, you know, so there's a there's a lot of ties there that I think are are uh, really uh, interesting and and uh, incredible. Bobby, you're talking about Arizona coaches, and of course, Texas hired linebackers coach, uh, you know, from Arizona in Nansen. But now Arizona is coach list, I guess you could say. And a lot of the players now are clamoring for him to be the next head coach of Arizona. What are y'all's thoughts on this? 
Well, I think it's normal. Um, this is what happens at just about every opportunity, right? Uh, CJ and Blake, uh, the co- the players want somebody that they're familiar with. A lot of them uh, are <laughs> a lot. There's there's Richard Jefferson. Uh, a lot of them uh, are defensive players. Jacob Manu, the linebacker. Uh, you don't see many uh, offensive players saying that right now. Uh, so that's that's one thing to watch for. Uh, the offensive players are really what picked that team up. I thought this year. Uh, Noah Fafita, the quarterback, Territory McMillan, the wide receiver. Uh, those kind of guys are, you know, the guys that really drove that. Doesn't mean that Nansen didn't have a big, big role and that they couldn't uh, uh, get better. But uh, long story short, I, I think that that's going to be interesting to see which way the University of Arizona admin decides to go. I have no insight right now whether or not he's a real candidate or just one being foisted on by the, uh, the current players. All right. Well, before we move on here, Bobby, I'm going to go ahead and let you tell everybody about John Donovan and Longhorn Wealth Management Group. Yeah, John is a Longhorn through and through. Uh, I'll just put it that way. Uh, He is a proud UT grad and shares his Longhorn passion with his wife and six siblings, all of whom are also UT grads. John's a certified financial planner, has spent more than 30 years providing investment, insurance, retirement and estate planning services and solutions to his clients. John has served 14 years as a Dallas, Texas, Texas board member, and it's his love for UT that has inspired him to dedicate his firm to serving his fellow UT alums and all UT employees. Uh, For a free 90-minute consultation to explore how Longhorn Wealth can serve you and your loved ones, please give John Donovan and his team a call at 972-707-4900 or visit longhornwealth.net. I think he might even give you throw in a cup of hot chocolate. Uh, if you're calling today, it is uh, really cold outside. I can see the weather coming down. But uh, yeah, John Donovan, 972-707-4900 or visit longhornwealth.net. Okay, guys, two things that we haven't, or two or three things we haven't talked about yet that are hot commodities right now in the chat. Let's start with tight end recruiting, specifically tight end portal recruiting. What's the latest? I mentioned uh, Amari Nyblack out Mm -hmm. of Alabama. I think he's a a possibility. We're going to wait and see exactly what he has. I'm trying to find out whether or not Nyblack has the same representation as Isaiah Bond. Uh, That could be a a key tell. Uh, I do not know that to be the case as of this morning. Uh, Then also, uh, I mentioned Ben Urasik, the tight end out of Stanford that visited Georgia over the weekend. He uh, He will not make a decision right away. We don't believe he's going to try to visit Texas. He does not uh, graduate until March, so he's not a mid-year guy either. Nye Black would be a, a mid-year guy. And then, Bobby, we have people asking about Holden Stays. I know you mentioned him late last week. Can you give everybody the latest there? Unless something has changed, I think he's sticking with Tennessee. Unless something's changed, I think he's sticking with Tennessee. I have not heard anything that would tell me differently right now. And then one other tight end question, guys. This one from Matthew. He says, does Juan Davis have a spot on this year's lineup? If he sticks around and doesn't portal, absolutely. I mean, this was a guy that Texas, you know, kind of fought for to return from the portal. Uh, he was on the field sparingly towards the end of games this past year as well. He provides a, a little bit of a different skill set than what you see with uh, Gunnar Helm and, uh, you know, obviously Malik Agbo also in that room as well. Um, so it, it, it'll be interesting. I, I know that uh, the portal entry was something that was the top of his mind if Texas goes out and adds another piece from the portal. Um, that will be something that we'll have to keep a close eye on just to see where Juan Davis, 
you know, ultimately ends up, uh, whether it be on the 2024 roster, you know, back entering his name in the portal. So that'll be that'll be interesting. But I, I think Texas would prefer him to stay. You know, they fought for him to come back out of the portal. They wanted him back on this roster. So as long as he's willing to be a Longhorn, he's got a spot. And then the other hot topic, guys, is the defensive tackle position uh, and the coach more specifically. And we'll start with this one from Tracy Jackson. He says, any update on the defensive line coach? I'm assuming no, Ed O. Uh, I can't tell you that that there's been any further update there. Uh, look, uh, other than Freddie Roach, the defensive line coach at the University of Alabama, has been retained uh, by Kalen DeBoer, uh, the head coach at the new head coach at Alabama. He retained the defensive line coach. It was thought that Roach might be an easy uh, fit for the Longhorns since not only does Steve Sarkeesian, but also Kyle Flood and uh, Jeff Banks have uh, experience with Mal or with uh, uh, Freddie Roach. But uh, look, uh, Texas has got uh, – apparently Texas has their man. I don't know who it is. Uh, Rod Wright has been a, a name that I've, that's been mentioned to me. He's the assistant defensive line coach uh, at, for the Houston Texas. They're, Texans. They're still in the playoffs. Uh, Oscar Giles, uh, the former Texas defensive line coach, also at Wyoming here recently, uh, has been mentioned, uh, as well as a host of others. I've mentioned Zarnell Fitch at Texas Tech. Uh, I've mentioned uh, Ed Orgeron as a possibility. Uh, others to Ryan Nielsen of the Atlanta Falcons. Clint Hurt uh, of the Seattle Seahawks is no longer there. Uh, there are several different guys right now that uh, all possibilities in my book. And then we've had a lot of people join, so we're getting a couple of repetitive questions. But Vivek says, "Did have y'all recapped what we can expect on Jabbar Muhammad's recruitment? No, we haven't, Vivek. Is he coming in for a visit? This would be a huge pickup. As of yesterday afternoon, he's expected to visit Texas this coming weekend. Um, as of yesterday afternoon. Now, Oregon made a big play for him on Saturday morning. Texas then went in Saturday afternoon, Terry Joseph. Uh, uh, Muhammad uh, is going to take his time. He doesn't have to make an immediate decision. He's a grad, going to be a grad transfer, it looks like. Uh, he is going to take his time. He's visiting Texas this coming weekend as of right now. Other teams are going to try to get involved, but it sounds like to me from talking to those close to the situation, uh, Texas and Oregon are the final two. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Okay, guys. Well, we talked about Silas uh, from Oregon State a minute ago. Peter wants to know what kind of role could we expect from him if he commits? Would it be a Keelan Robinson type of role? That's kind of something I've juggled because you, you've seen what Texas has added in the portal right now with Matthew Golden uh, and clearly Isaiah Bond. You know the receivers that they can be stretching the field vertically, you know, down the field threats. 
they're 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 not necessarily what you would consider one of those gadget gadget wide receivers like uh you know what we saw with Keelan Robinson at times uh during his tenure on on the 40 acres I wouldn't necessarily consider Silas Bolden to be a gadget guy either but in his fit in this offense I'm not sure which of these wide receivers you're taking off the field because I have very high hopes for Jontae Cook as I know the staff does as well uh obviously Matt uh, Golden Bond Ryan Wingo figures to be in the conversation uh Bolden a little bit different only about five eight you know, buck 75, he, he's a speedster. He can change directions very well. Great return man as well. If he joins the Texas team, he will be in the return man conversation. Uh, and I, but I mean, I, I've been kind of juggling where he fits in the offense as a true wide receiver. Uh, though Bobby point has pointed out in the past, you know, he did have more receptions than the two of golden and bond combined uh, a year ago. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. It, it is just uh, a big-time experienced wide receiver with good production that will be added to this room should he join anyways. You can never have too many of them. So uh, at the same time, it's it's a good problem to have if he joins the wide receiver room if you're Steve Sarkeesian to figure out the pieces once all of them are on campus. You know, this is interesting because the, the comparison to Keelan Robinson is there, but Keelan's actually much bigger, like thicker uh, than Silas Bolden. Bolden is like 175. Keelan uh, is more of a running back. He doesn't. Keelan doesn't have wide receiver hands. This guy has wide receiver hands. Uh, that's that's a little bit different, I would say. Um, and I think Keelan has more acceleration. This guy has more juke to him. Uh, if you're trying to if you're trying to create a a visual for yourself of what you're actually getting, my my opinion, Blake and CJ uh, and everybody here is, I think that. Steve Sarkeesian just wants speed everywhere. That's what it looks like he's morphing to right now. Um, frankly, Jaden Blue fits that, right? Uh, Steve, I, I think Sark is going to start trying to, instead of being a more prototypical, prototypical pro-style offense, I think we're going to see him try to go a little bit more towards the Miami Dolphins. Throw to space, let him run. Um, and I, I could be wrong about that. But that's Isaiah Bond is that way. Matthew Golden is that way. Silas Bolden is that way. Jonte Cook is that way. Maybe Ryan Wingo's that way too. I mean, throw to space and let them roll. Um, I think that's that's going to be something that that's interesting. I, I think we could see a little bit, not a little bit, a lot of bit different offense uh, with Quinn Ewers in his third year as starter too. And we're going to stay on wide receivers, guys. Uh, we got a super chat here from J.A.R. Thank you, Jay. And he says, what's the projected depth chart at receiver now? And do you suspect anyone to transfer out with these new additions? Boy, I I wish I had. I wish I knew right now because I I literally went down and did the, the depth chart across the board. And the most messed up one I had anywhere was the wide receiver room. So if that gives y'all any kind of uh, understanding of where we're at, I think that it's like CJ said the first part. I think these guys are going to be interchangeable a little bit. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of trips, I think, uh, in bunch sets. Uh, could be wrong, uh, but that, those are my th- that's my thinking as of right now. Um, I feel like Cook, uh, Cook, Bond, and Golden are your starters out of the gate. Uh, I feel really strongly about Ryan Wingo as a newcomer. Uh, if he's healthy, 
He just showed a little something that I, I think is rare. Uh, so, and he's also going to be the biggest one there, uh, other than Parker Livingstone, I believe. Uh, and so you might have him out there. Uh, and then I don't know where, I mean, Silas Bolden may fit in there somewhere too. We, we could be looking at more 11 personnel as opposed to 12 personnel or even 10. Yeah. I mean, we, we just don't know. I mean, you got to remember the great thing about, I, I mean, start with these pieces to the puzzle. Like if, if they, they could go 21 look with Jaden blue in the backfield and end up 11 personnel. I mean, they literally could because he's got that kind of speed. I, I just feel like you're, you got to find out what the mix, the mix is the, the piece that Rod always talks about. And then I agree with him hundred percent. Who are, who are the people within the circle of trust at the receiver position? You agree with that CJ, because it's not, no, it's not necessarily about position. They're trying to make it positionless. I think at receiver but it's who do they trust to put on the field when it when the time comes? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it, it's a it, the circle of trust is what we keep referring to, but it's going to be a bunch of guys in that that kind of rotation that see the field that we've mentioned the Bonds, the Goldens, the Cooks, uh, DeAndre Moore could figure in there as well. Uh, Ryan Wingo, we talk about being really the only true big body aside from Parker Livingstone as well. So that'll be, that'll be interesting to watch. I think on the positionless aspect of things, this is kind of what Steve Sarkeesian prefers at the wide receiver position guys, where you don't necessarily know what tendencies are coming with them being on the field. We look back at 2019 Alabama when Sarkeesian was there, the wide receivers, you know, they, they were playing tic-tac-toe rock, paper, scissors on the sideline to see who would get the, the certain position route, as they were, you know, exiting a timeout. They knew that a play was coming in at times. They knew that it was a, a high tendency that a, a deep ball would be thrown, a high probability that a touchdown would be caught. Sitting on the sideline, they know the routes. They obviously uh, would sit back and, and play tic-tac, or uh, sorry, rock, paper, scissors on the sideline with one another to see who would get that money route, as they called it. And so I think that is kind of the transition that we're starting to see with Texas at the wide receiver spot. It's going to be an interchangeable mix with the speed and separation ability at the wide receiver position, something that Texas had with Xavier Worthy, but not necessarily uh, an abundance of last year and the year prior in that wide receiver room. So that's the move that we're starting to see a little bit. And the addition of Silas Bolden, should he join the Texas ro uh, roster as well, will only continue that that trend of guys that can separate with their speed and quickness uh, in space and throw it to space, as you, you, you kept mentioning, Bobby. Let the guys cook. Uh, no pun intended, with the ball in their hand right afterward. Yeah, I think that's the big deal. That's going to be the difference because uh, they had to throw to spots a lot this year. That's not that's not a negative. Um, JT Sanders is going to be an NFL player. Adonai Mitchell is an NFL player. Jordan Whittington likely an NFL player. What I'm talking about is a different style of offense, one that looks a little bit more like what, uh, frankly, the, the Dolphins run uh, with Jalen Waddell, Devin A. Chain, and Tyreek Hill. Interesting, real quick, Bobby, that, that mention on Jatavian Sanders thrown to spots. That was a lot of where we saw Texas utilize the mismatch. Jatavian yep. Sanders over the middle with tight ends. It wasn't always the case with Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell. I think that's where Sarkeesian wants to continue pushing the envelope with his wide receivers, is to continue to use his wide receivers over the middle, creating space, whereas it wasn't necessarily always a speed mismatch with who he deployed at the wide receiver position. 
Guys, we're going to continue on with wide receiver talk. AJJ Sports says, does targeting all of these portal wide receivers show that Sark thinks the young guys aren't ready yet? I think it's part of it. I mean, and, and he, he's probably right. Look, I mean, uh, and I don't mean this to be negative towards Ryan Niblett, DeAndre Moore, or even Jonte Cook. I mean, why would there is no excuse in this day and age for a major college football team to be inexperienced? I mean, that, that's not an excuse anymore. Um, with the NCAA transfer portal, if you're inexperienced somewhere, go get some portal guys. You know, Texas lost 80% of its catches this year. 80%. Okay. You're bringing in, if you bring in, uh, first of all, Golden had 38 or 39 catches. Uh, uh, Bond had 48. Bolden had 54. All of a sudden, you're back up to 40 or 50 percent of your total. It it's it's a it's a big difference. Uh, Jonte Cook is the returning leading receiver at eight catches. Now Gunnar Helm had 14, and Cedric Baxter I think had 24. But my point being, there is absolutely no reason. Does it say that? Some of these young guys may not be completely ready for prime time. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we, we've been saying that from the get-go, whether it's defensive line, offensive line, you can recruit as many five-star offensive linemen you want. There's been one Kelvin Banks, you know, and Texas has had two or three guys that are ready that that played that way. And so my, my point being, you can't expect every five-star to come in and be ready to go right out of the gate, no matter how good they are. Well, Bobby, you mentioned the Dolphins a second ago. And Antonio says, do you think that Sark sees yours as more of a Tua-style quarterback? I see Tua more as a, a technician. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, he tries to use his eyes to look people off a lot. I, I Quinn has not done that as much. Um, uh, and I think Quinn is a more natural thrower of the football. Uh, of the than than Tua Tua kind of forces it sometimes, but that being said, Tua is a you know a top 10, 15 quarterback in the NFL, won a national championship. Uh, there are things that he does that are better than Quinn. I think he gets to his second and third receivers much better. Even he, he did that even better young as a, at a younger age than Quinn does now. Um, so I I think they're different. I, I think that uh, Quinn uh, Quinn Quinn has all the ability you want. He just has to keep improving. That's the bottom line. Keep taping. It, everything doesn't have to be overnight. Step by step by step. He took big steps from year one to year two. Anybody that didn't see that, they're blind. I think he has a chance to keep making those positive steps. I thought he did actually late in the year. He got to a second and third receiver much quicker later in the year than he did it early. Against Oklahoma State, he did it almost out. It looked like he had really turned the corner against Oklahoma State, guys. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I feel good about Quinn. Uh, he's just got to keep moving. Got to keep getting better. Yep. Uh, let's talk about running backs now. Matthew says, who is our number two back? Do we think Blue can run between the tackles? He personally believes so. Yeah, I, I believe Blue can. I don't think he's a guy that will do it 20 times a game. I don't think size permitting he's necessarily let – that guy that will, uh, you know, certainly run over guys, but the speed is there. The speed is a, a strength enough. And we've seen it time and time again with the long, you know, explosive runs that he brings to the table. 
I like the idea of a Baxter Blue rotation, that one-two punch right there for the Texas running back group. Um, if C.J. Baxter is able to come back in 2024 with, as we've talked about, you know, a fresh coat of armor in terms of getting his body, you know, fully fit for a full, uh, you know, kind of slate of running the football, I, I think the Texas running back room is going to put up some pretty big numbers next year as a result of this offensive line returning. It's it's very encouraging, obviously, when you start talking about the rearranging of the offensive line that has been kind of toyed around with, you know, kind of theorized with going into spring football with Nato Umiazulu trying to get some cracks at left guard, Hayden Connor, Cam Williams moving out to right tackle, that battle there. It's intriguing to me. Black, uh, Baxter and Blue, I love the one-two punch with the two of them, and I think Blue has shown – Time and time again, if you give him the opportunities, he's going to be able to make you know big time plays at the running back spot. He's just got to make sure he holds on to the football. And then Casey says, if you have Vaughn Golden Jonte slash Wingo um, Blue all on the field, that will legit be the fastest skill position speed Texas has ever had. What y'all's thoughts on that? It's in the conversation. There's not a slow guy in that group. Yeah, that's a fun group. Yeah, those may that may that entire thing may be sub four five. May all be low four four actually. Put that back up if you don't mind, Blake. Hang on, Bobby. I got to find it now. You put me on the spot. I think I accidentally unstarted. So give me just a second here. I mean, Golden's low four fours, right? Bonds low four fours, high four threes. Yep. Cooks probably. Low to mid four fours, you think? Blue low four fours. Yeah, that's right to you. That's Wingo. Wingo's a state champ in the hundred meter. You know. Yeah. Funny enough, Jonte might be the slowest of that group. I didn't want to say it, but maybe. And that's crazy because I think he brings some pretty good burst and change of direction ability. I mean, if that's what you're considering to be the slowest of the group, th- yep. that comment is spot on. Yeah, that's a Tyler's boldness would be in that four four range too. That's a tremendous yeah. amount of speed right there. And then Casey had one other comment I want to bring up, guys. The yards after catch with these players is going to be insane. I love Jordan Whittington and his leadership slash blocking, but we are going to have something on offense we didn't have last year. I agree. That's what yep. we were just talking about, right? I mean, we think that we think that they're going to they're going to push some buttons that are a little bit different next year. And I think they should be able to, you know, Sark and Hurt inherited a certain type of personnel that he had to play to. Let, let's not forget that. I mean, Jordan Whittington's a good player. He's not, um, you know, this quick twitch guy, right? Uh, he didn't have any – he had Casey Kane instead of Adonai Mitchell his first year. So there are elements here that we gotta we got to be uh, accurate about. I'm interested to see what the um, maturation is of this offense and where he goes from here, because it looks to me based on who he's recruiting, he's trying to change it up a little bit. Yeah. It's not, it's not, let me get a big guy outside. Let me have, all right, let me have my blocking guy inside on the, in the slot and let me have the guy that can hit the go routes with Xavier Worthy on the outside. It looks like he's trying to remake it a little bit right now. Okay, we have a super chat from Blake, and Blake says his Quinn Ewers NFL comparison is Jared Goff. Goff had a pretty good game last night. <laughs> I think it was what 21 to 26. 
Not too bad. Um, I don't know. I, I haven't really thought about an NFL comparison for Quinn Ewers before. He, he Quinn's a unique quarterback uh, in the sense that, you know, the, the throwing ability I think is still – while good in a specialty of his, I think it's still a, a work in progress. You know, you talk about the lack of a fastball. I don't know if there's a quarterback in the NFL that doesn't have that in his back pocket. Maybe maybe Goff is the right comparison. I'll have to do a you know deeper look. But, I mean, Goff just went, what, 12-5 and five this year? You know, he, he led a pretty good offense. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a, a knock as if, you know, I don't think that was the intention, but. I'd like to see Quinn, you know, add that fastball, add that, you know, kind of zip to his passes like you've, you've been talking about, Bobby. Uh, that will be the next step for him. But, you know, it's an exciting problem to have when your third-year starting quarterback is now having all these pieces to throw the ball to. We'll, we'll get to see a, uh, an improved Quinn Ewers in 2024. I like it. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I, I agree – with that comparison, although there, there are some similarities, I'm trying to think of who Quinn reminds me of. Um, let me come back to that. Let, let's come back to that because I, I struggle a little bit with that. Not Stafford. Stafford not has Stafford. Real, no. <laughs> Stafford has a real fastball. Yeah. Well, well, we've, talked, we've talked about just about every position uh, on the offense, but offensive line. So let's talk about that. Zane Petty says, who are y'all starting five offensive linemen next year? And at what position? If I'm, I'll, I'll go first. If I'm really putting it out there, this is who I think starts next year. Um, left tackle, Calvin Banks. Left guard, Cole Hudson. Center, Jake Majors. Right guard, DJ Campbell. Right tackle, uh, Cam Williams. Uh, I think I think Hay Hayden Connor is going to be put out to, to, to right tackle to compete against Cam Williams. I think he'll then come back and really try to compete against Cole Hudson and Neto. Uh, I think Neto or, or Cole Hudson is going to get that left guard job. I, I think in the SEC, uh, Hayden Connor is a tackle, not a guard. And that's going to be ultimately, even with all that experience he has, he's a really good player. I, I think he's got to either get stronger at the point of attack or go play tackle. Yeah. I, I, I like that starting five. I, I love the idea of Cam Williams, you know, starting at right tackle. I think what he was able to show against Kansas State when he was able to hold his water and and not commit false starts, you know, he was he had a tremendous day against a pretty good front seven at Kansas State. Uh, my question mark on that right side is going to be the communication and and and, and obviously chemistry of DJ Campbell and Cam Williams together. Uh, it's going to be a spot where I think opposing teams are going to look to. You know, kind of take advantage of the communication and, and, and stunt pickups from the two of them. It's going to have to take a big spring ball of chemistry and, and standing next to one another uh, and the line of scrimmage and pass protection and, and everything along the lines of that for me to feel comfortable with that. Because we saw it, you know, Washington picked on DJ Campbell a, a little bit. You know, that, that was kind of the, the spot Texas was most vulnerable at. Uh, in pass protection. So another year, you obviously expect that to be better uh, in terms of, you know, just being able to pick up stunts, twists, everything along uh, the lines of that from the defensive side of the of, of the ball. But uh, I love, you know, that that concept in my mind of seeing big old Cam Williams out at right tackle. That That's very exciting to me. Hey, y'all, while we're on the subject of uh, offensive linemen here, I want to bring this up. 
PFF College put this out over the weekend. Texas center Jake Major's last season. 504 pass block snaps, zero sacks allowed, one quarterback hit allowed. And Majors was taking quite, you know, quite a bit of crap before the season started from fans, especially. I mean, we saw it, you know, right here in the chat and things like that. But what's y'all's take on his play this past season and more importantly, his improvement? He certainly took a step up from 2022. I thought he had a pretty good year, pretty strong year this year. Uh, the Texas offensive line in general took a big leap forward, something that I think everybody was excited about and anticipated with how many guys returned from 2022. So uh, that should also continue into this year. You know, the return and the cohesiveness is something that Texas is familiar with. There's ex an expectation there. But for Jake Majors in the middle, uh, we talked about Texas's defensive line this past year getting pressure through the, the middle and, you know, causing disruption uh, as a result. If you're Quarterback is getting, you know, pressure straight on. It changes the entire uh, read settings. It, it changes everything from the quarterback rather than coming off the edge where you can slide up, slide through, get to the, uh, uh, you know, the line of scrimmage and take off. If it's coming straight up the middle, things become a whole lot more foggy. Uh, the, the side of uh, vision is, is, you know, deterred immediately. Jake Majors, I thought, had a good year. I was actually kind of surprised that. You know, no quarterback sacks and only one quarterback hit out of that many snap count. I mean, that was credit to him. Good year. I, I think he was the glue for that offensive line this year from the start. Uh, underrated. I, I wrote a response on that tweet, by the way, Blake. Um, I, I felt like he was underrated the whole year. Uh, yes, he had some snap infractions, um, but I didn't have any snap problems. Uh, you know, we, we saw some things happen in that regard that were really bad uh, throughout uh, college football. But I, I, I look, I think he's the glue. I think him coming back next year puts Texas in a advantageous situation on the offensive line next year. There's no got to worry about the, the calls on the offensive line next year going in the SEC. You got to worry about adding new. It's just. A guy like that coming back with that much experience at the center of your – I mean, he's touching the football every time you're on the game, on the uh, uh, on the field. And I, I, I just think he's a, he's a, he's a good, solid player, uh, has done his best uh, for the University of Texas, and, and now he's going to go get a business degree uh, as a grad student. So I'm happy for him. Okay, guys, we got a, a couple of other questions here regarding majors and the offensive line that we'll get to, then we'll switch gears. Uh, but Emmanuel Villafranco says, do you think eventually he gets drafted or maybe undrafted free agent and makes a roster? I think he can make a roster. I don't know about getting drafted. Yep, I, I think you with majors, there's a question mark about the arm length and obviously the, the height and weight. Um but the play itself, pretty good this past year. Like you said, Bobby, I mean, if he's able to replicate another season of 500-plus pass pro snaps and not have a single, uh, you know, sack or quarterback hit added to that tally, I mean, that that play's gonna, that tape is going to go a long way. Okay, guys, we got a super chat from Kabir Hussein. Thank you, Kabir. And he says, all the mid-year transfers, considering UT, have to do so by today, right? Since the semester starts tomorrow, Bobby, you're shaking your head. No, I'll let you take it. No, they don't. Uh, here's what has to happen, Kabir. And this is a, this is a common misperception. Um, uh, they actually don't have to, to enroll until the last day to add drop classes. So that's, what, two weeks from now, CJ? Yeah, roughly. Uh, Isaiah Nayor did that 
by the way. He didn't enroll until late January at Texas. Uh, so there's there's a precedent for this. Um, the idea that you have to do it right now is inaccurate. Uh, the, the other issue, that, and this is it right here, uh, Donald Skipper asking the same question. Uh, that's how they do it. Uh, they just have to enroll by the last day to add drop classes. Okay, guys, with the departure of Bo Davis, uh, there's been speculation about Texas' current defensive tackle, commit, signees, however you want to say it, possibly asking to get out of that. And Danny Moss says, did DeAndre Robinson submit a requested letter of release to Texas? What's the latest there along with the other defensive tackle signees? Yeah, I mean, well, Alex January enroll, or showed up yesterday, so he's – and can't on campus getting ready to go to class tomorrow. Um, DeAndre Robinson did not. It's my understanding he has asked for a, a release from his letter of intent. Uh, it's my understanding that Texas is likely to give him that if they haven't already. Uh, so I think it, by and large, it looks like DeAndre Robinson uh, almost assuredly no longer a member of this class. And then Aaron, or I'm sorry, uh, Matthew says, is there any update on Aaron Bryant? I mean, we're just waiting for spring football and winter workouts to get going. I mean, Aaron Bryant's a guy that the staff has high hopes for. He's obviously going to be in a position to take a larger role in the Texas defense next year. Him and Jare Bledsoe, I know that the staff is high on them. Uh, there there was, you know, uh, about 20 snaps a game for – or 15, 20 snaps a game for Aaron Bryant when you kind of uh, consider the, the full amount from this past season – if he's able to take that next step and get into that 30 snap count range, I think for Texas, you have to feel good about, you know, what he would bring to this defensive line. Uh, but it's going to start in the offseason and, and obviously spring football to ensure that he is able to, you know, be ready for extended snap counts because Texas is going to need those bodies in the defensive line for 2024. You're muted, Bobby. Right now, you got to say that he's in the rotation. Unless they add significant bodies on the interior, Aaron Bryant's in the rotation next year because Vernon Broughton and Alfred Collins are your top two, neither of whom, by the way, are true nose tackles by any stretch. Um, Aaron Bryant is more of that over-the-nose. Sadir Mitchell's more of that over-the-nose. Alex January's more over-the-nose. Um, I, I, I think that we're looking at, especially if Texas does not get anybody in the portal, I think you're you may be looking at Aaron Bryant running 35 to 40 snaps a game as opposed to 20 to 30, CJ. Okay, guys. Jason Spire says it looks like we're at 86 right now, with us still in pursuit of a few more portal targets. How do we logistically manage these numbers? I think they realize there's going to be more uh attrition at the end of in April. I think April 15th to April 30th is the second portal window. I think there, there will be more attrition during that time frame. And, and that's only natural because a lot of them are going to see, well, I'm not going to play now. You yeah. know, maybe, you know, maybe it's a DB that got passed by a freshman. There's five freshmen coming in. If a DB gets passed by one of those guys, they may be gone. Right. Same with a receiver. Same with a offensive lineman. You just never know. And then we're going to stay on the portal talk for just a second here as I uh, just lost the question. Oh, here we go. And then King Me says, are we finished recruiting ice cream in the portal and only going after the sprinkles now? 
Dude, I, well, I think I think one of the big ingredients of the ice cream is the milk, and you got to have the big boys up front that can carry the load there. So, I mean, <laughs> there's got to be an addition on the defensive line for me before you – I mean, the, the, the sprinkles that you want to talk about with Bond and Golden, I mean – Tremendous. We're talking about the the pink icing sprinkles on the donut, if you will. Uh, but right now, you got to continue to add the big ingredients on, up front, and I think a portal piece uh, on that defensive line is something that the Texas staff would, you know, very much be excited about adding to this group. Uh, like you've talked about, Bobby, a true nose is something that Texas is lacking right now with experience. So that's that's got to be that last ingredient before you can really start going to the window and start picking out the, the the nuts and the the sprinkles and everything that go the whipped cream and the cherry everything on top of that <laughs> all right guys well we've had a lot of people join since we first started this so let's go back let's rehash the news of the day that we initially started with we're going to start with isaiah bond of course the alabama wide receiver who committed to texas over the weekend how big of a deal is that for the longhorns offense next season I think it's he's an immediate impact player. I mean, I think that Trey Moore is going to have a place at Texas. I think Matthew Golden's going to have a place at Texas. I, I think, uh, you know, Andrew Makuba is going to have a place at Texas. This is a guy that could be a first-round pick. That's the difference. I mean, you agree with that, CJ? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, 670 yards receiving this year. Uh was all over the field in terms of where he aligned for Alabama as well. So it's not like he is a one-trick pony in terms of his speed. Uh, 58% of his snaps came from the slot as well. So he's a guy that you can move around and use his speed to create mismatches uh, with safeties, with linebackers. If you go man coverage, you better be able to have help over the top because he's a guy that can break this, the, the roof off of any defense. Uh, similar to what we talked about with Matthew Golden and obviously Jontae Cook, their ability to be – well-rounded at the wide receiver position gives Texas three true threats that you can, that you know about right now that can walk onto the field and create separation from defenders and, and secondary members. So very encouraging, and the three of them together is exciting as we move towards Sarkeesian, really prioritizing speed and separation as opposed to true possession, big body, uh, let me get the first down and, and, and go down kind of guys. And then the other big news, of course, this weekend was the addition of Dwayne Aquina, the former Texas defensive back coach, who's now moving into an, an off-the-field analyst role. Bobby, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dwayne Aquina spent 13 years in Austin prior to this one. Uh, prior to his return, it actually came in on, I think he was in on Saturday uh, morning. Uh, but uh, long story short, uh, he, he tutored six NFL first-round picks while at Texas. Uh, got to know Johnny Manson while an assistant, an off the field assistant this past year uh, at Arizona. Uh, then comes to Austin with Johnny Nansen basically a, a week later. Uh, Michael Huff, uh, those guys, all friends with uh, Dwayne Aquina to this day. Uh, he is one of those coaches that former players keep in touch with. And I think we've all had, I mean, I've, I have guys, I have a high school coach that I still keep in touch with. I have some guys from college that I still keep in touch with that were mentors to me. That's what Dwayne Aquina is to a lot of those older uh, players. He will bring that to the, to the culture of the university of Texas. I have no doubt. I just think it's a big, big win for UT. Well, before we move on, Bobby, I'm going to let you tell everybody out there about John Donovan and Longhorn wealth management group. Yeah, absolutely. John's a proud UT grad and shares his Longhorn passion with his wife, 
and six siblings, all UT grads. Imagine what that would cost these days. John is a certified financial planner who has spent more than 30 years providing investment, insurance, retirement, and estate planning services and solutions to his clients. John has served 14 years as a Dallas, Texas Exit board member, and it's his love for UT that inspired him to dedicate his firm to serving his fellow UT alums and all UT employees for a free 90-minute consultation. That's right, it's free to explore how Longhorn Wealth can serve you and your loved ones. Please give John and his team a call at 972-707-4900 or visit longhornwealth.net. That's John and John Donovan. 972-707-4900, longhornwealth.net. Okay, guys, we're going to go back to Akina and talk a little more defense here. We've had a few questions, and I know this is going to be kind of hard to answer, but we'll get y'all's perspective on it. Archmania says, how do y'all think Akina sees this defensive back roster in comparison to some of his greats while at Texas previously? I know that's going to be hard to do, but how do y'all see it com comparing some of those players? That's tough. I wasn't very old when those guys were still running around. So I, I'm not sure I can add a whole lot to that. I just hope that the increased athleticism that we're seeing, you know, walk into the secondary room right now resembles what was on campus at the time. I hope that's the case. I know that's a tall task with how many, you know, first round and NFL caliber guys were, you know, parading through those hallways back in the day. So, Bobby, I hope you got a better answer than I do because I was just looking <laughs> – uh, at the time in which these guys were here, I was probably walking into middle school hoping to see a burrito day at the cafeteria line more so than what was actually going on in the, the Texas uh, secondary room at the time. Burrito day. That's how, I, I, I was every Tuesday and Thursday. I was all about Thursday. For me, I, for me, going in. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually looking back at a couple of recruiting classes right now. That's that's what I'm, I'm doing on my phone. And um. Here, here's a here's a recruiting class for you. Uh, the 2003 Texas recruiting class: Michael Griffin, Terrell Brown. Uh, let's see, Brandon Foster had a cup of coffee in the league. Those guys. The 2002 recruiting class, back to back, just great recruiting classes uh, for Texas. Among the first for for uh, Dwayne Aquino, by the way, he didn't get to Texas I think until 2000. Uh, but in that recruiting class uh, for Texas, you had a guy named Dorian McCullough, who was one of the best DBs in the country. Uh, he played as a true freshman. Uh, Aaron Ross was in that class. Mike Huff was in that class. Uh, you look up and down it, and those two back-to-back -back classes were outstanding. I, I think Texas has a chance to have that same type of role right now. This past recruiting class, is as good a DB recruiting class as Texas has had in a long time. Back to when he was running around. Back when Dwayne Aquino was coaching the secondary. So how does he, how would he perceive it? I don't know. I mean, the one thing that Rod talks about that I, I agree with, uh, he likes, Dwayne Aquino likes cover guys as much as anything. Like the way to defend the spread, in his opinion, is to have five defensive guys that can cover not just to fill the alley safety like a Jalen Catalan, right? But a guy that actually can cover one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Um, and so I, I feel like Texas got the Wardell Max, uh, the Xavier Filsimis, uh, the Kobe Blacks uh, that can do that sort of thing. They're, they're versatile. 
can run, uh, that uh, can, can pick that kind of stuff up. Bobby, I know you said at the beginning of the broadcast when we first talked about Akina that you don't know what exactly his role is going to be at Texas. But in your opinion, how important and how impactful is it to have a guy, you know, such a great defensive back coach giving his input into a program like this? Well, I think it's important, too, that he's not going to overrule Terry Joseph or Blake Gideon. Let's let's be clear about that. But look, I mean, he just saw Oklahoma in the bowl game. Right. He, he watched Oklahoma. Arizona played Oklahoma in the bowl game. Maybe he caught up on some things there that could help Texas in the secondary. And they handled Jackson Arnold pretty darn well. Right. Um, and so maybe they've got a feel for what they want to do on offense. And things like that can help. You're not looking for them to rule the roost as an off-field analyst. Your point was correct, Blake. You're looking for minor points, right? Improve us 1%. Improve us 2%. Not improve us 50% from those guys. If you're looking for improve us 50%, then you probably need to fire your existing coaches. That, that You know what I mean? And so they're, they're looking for little points. Uh, that they can improve on. And I do think that Dwayne Aquina can help them do that. For sure. Okay, a hot topic in the uh, chat right now, and I mean very hot because a lot of people are giving their input in it. Uh, Donald Skipper says, could Livingstone beef up to be a tight end? And people are real split on this in the chat, but I want to get y'all's input on that. I don't think so. I don't think this is a guy that you want to beef up to be a tight end. Parker Livingstone and what he brings to the table is the combination of size and speed. He is shifty enough. He can change directions very well. Uh, this is a, a complete wide receiver that just has a lot of height to him. Um, there was a reason why he was returning punts and kicks for, for Lovejoy this year before he got hurt. You know, he was running the 200 and 400 in track as well. You know, the speed and the size make him – you know, the wide receiver that he is, you know, this is a, a very uh, talented wide receiver. I'm as high as him, you know, as anybody that you'll find in the, in the recruiting market. I had him as a top five wide receiver in the state coming into the year. And I thought that the, the early games that we saw from him, he was kind of creeping into the top three conversation. He was that impactful. Uh, he, he, he was a special prospect. And I'm upset that we didn't really get to see a full year of senior Parker Livingstone as a result of his injury, because this would not be a conversation topic right now if you were able to see the highlights that he produces on a week-to-week -week basis. The hands are tremendous. The height, the separation ability is tremendous for a guy that big. This is a guy I have high hopes for during his time at Texas. I'm not sure how quickly he'll see the field, but he's a playmaker. He, he can get on the field and, and be a difference. So I, I think he's a, a wide receiver through and through. Okay, let's go back to the other side of the football. Matthew asks, where does Jare Bledsoe ne play next year? Is it at the three-tech? Yeah, it's a good question. How much, does he, how much weight does he add? Yeah, that's that's really the question. He doesn't even look like he's 280 right now. Yep. Uh, but he needs to get to 295 to play on the interior in the SEC. Absolutely. Uh, so I can see him. They may go three a, a big three at times. Um and play him at a five technique, kind of like they did with Alfred Collins at times. Um, but I, I just don't know. Uh, look, I, I think he's going to have to play three technique. There's no question about that. Uh, whether or not he can do it at 290, 295, as opposed to 280, 275, is a, is a different story. This is a big year for him and a couple of other 
players for Texas. Um, you know, as CJ mentioned earlier, adding that armor. Well, sometimes offensive linemen, it takes them two years to get that armor. Sometimes defensive linemen, two years, or a running back, one year. Um, he, When you're trying to build up an uber-athletic interior defensive lineman like Jare Bledsoe, sometimes it takes time to get the right amount of weight on him. And uh, so this, this offseason is huge for him. I really do believe that. I think he could be a tremendous player for Texas if he if he can gain the weight. Right now, he's a little bit of a tweener, to your point. Well, let's talk about, so we talked about the interior of the line. Black Wynn wants to talk about the edges. He says, everyone talks about the lack of depth on the interior, but I think our edges are going to be great next year. What do you all think? They should certainly be improved. They should be able to get home a little bit more than what we've seen. Uh, I, one of my favorite points that Rod always brings up is, you know, pass rushers know how to pass rush. You know, that's kind of an instinctual thing. If, you, if, if you've ever, you know, played the position, you know how to beat the man in front of you. That's what Trey Moore does. That's what Colin Simmons does at the high school level. Uh, you know, these are a lot of uh, a lot of sacks that Trey Moore is bringing into the table uh, 22 sacks over the last two seasons, 14 and a half this past year, 17 and a half tackles for loss. It's a guy that's very active in the, in, in the backfield. That's what Texas needs. They need the guys on the edges combined with Ethan Burke, Baron Sorrell, Justice Finkley, and Jamon Tapp to get to the quarterback and bring them down behind the line of scrimmage. So I'm, I'm, impact, I'm excited for it. You know, this should be, I don't want to call it a strength, but this should certainly be a step up from what we saw in 2023 uh, next season at the edge position as a result of these guys joining the rotation. So it should certainly be in the conversation for strength, and it sh certainly should make up for, uh, at least in the passing game, what Texas lost with Byron Murphy and, and Tavondre Sweat. Okay, David says, Steve Sarkeesian always talks about how great the culture is. But when you bring players to start over your current starters, does that affect your culture and your locker room? Who did he do that with? Well, I the mean, wide receiver position. But nobody, nobody's starting. Who's the returning starters? Fair. I mean, Makuba, who's the, who's the returning starter at safety? I mean, you know, Trey Moore, is he going to actually start over uh, over Burke or Sorrell? We'll see. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the, the, you know, Casey Kane wasn't a returning starter that Adonai Mitchell uh, came and took the job over, right? I, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's people thinking, oh, well, I'm next in line isn't the same as I am a current starter. And that that's uh, and I and I will say this: if you're not good enough, you're not good enough. The, Steve Sarkeesian's job is to create the culture and decide what is and what isn't good enough, right? So I, I don't have I don't have this uh, concern like that because football, you know, it is a business at, at some level. Yes, it's college football, so it's kind of masked in this in this. Uh, in this scenario, but the reality of it is, is a fifth year guy or a fourth year guy that's got three years starting experience is better served to start at the university of Texas than a, a freshman that has been busting assignments all week in practice or still can't lift 185 20 times or 15 times. 
That's just the way it is. Lots of people weighing in on this. Ron S. Does being able to navigate playing issues with transfers is one of Sark's strengths? I, 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 I agree. Yeah, y'all agree with that? You agree with that too, Blake? Because hey, yep. I think that's – like he's – He's got a he's got a way about him that I think everybody kind of looks at and just kind of nods. It's not is it absolutely perfect? No, nothing's perfect. But he sure did a, a pretty masterful job of the last two years, in my opinion. Yeah, no doubt about that. Okay, guys, going on to next season here. Bobby T D Brown says, Hook on from Snowy Hearst, Texas. <laughs> what will the Texas offense average next year? Do you think it'll be 40 points? Oh, I forgot it's the SDC next year. But in all seriousness, what, what do y'all think would be successful? Or what number would you point to and say, okay, that's been a successful offense this season? What 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 did Alabama average in the SEC? This year, let me look. Um, I don't think it's going to be as potent as Georgia's was. Do you think that, CJ? Like CJ, I, I thought I think Georgia probably had the best offense in the SEC. Uh, Missouri, maybe the second best. Uh, no, LSU. LSU. LSU and Georgia probably had the two best. Um, there were there were five teams in the country this year that averaged forty points. LSU, Georgia, Oregon, Oklahoma, and I just lost the last one. Sorry, uh, USC. So look at the quarterbacks and, you know, kind of style and play in which those guys, you know, brought to the table. You have a Heisman winner, Caleb Williams, a Heisman winner, Jaden Daniels. You got a six-year guy in Dylan Gabriel who, you know, was in the same system his entire career. They like to go fast. They like to throw the ball vertically. They also put up 70 points on a high school team uh, week two. So take that for what it, what it is. Uh I mean, Georgia is in that conversation of having just more talent than everybody else around them as well. And then, uh, I mean, Oregon, a, a well-rounded machine, I thought, you know, with a fifth-year quarterback, Bo Nix, six-year quarterback, whatever he was, and a great offensive line and running game. How does Texas take that next step? Well, they're going to have a third-year starter. Quinn Ewers in the position uh, of quarterback. They're going to have a dominant offensive line, which as a result, they should have a good running game as well. We'll see just how that goes and how that translates in the SEC. We've talked about the speed and new additions to the wide receiving room that can take the top off of defenses as well. I don't think 40 points is a guarantee. Only four teams did it or five teams did it this past season. But when you kind of take you know into consideration how this, this roster is, is, is shaping up offensively, it certainly is worth the conversation to say Texas could take that jump with a third-year starting quarterback in the system to be in that conversation for one of the best offenses in the SEC and, you know, as a result in the entire country. So I, I think it's not too far out of the picture, but it's not, you know, an easy thing to do. Texas will be going against, you know, tougher defenses. Uh, they'll be going up against guys who can get after the quarterback more, you know, efficiently than what we have seen. Uh, Texas averaged 35 points per game this year. They only had one game, I think, in which they didn't average or didn't score more than 30. If Texas is able to average, you know, right in that 35 point per game, 40 range right there. I mean, you got to be excited about the win loss category uh, when it's all said and done at the end of the season. Hey, Bobby, 33.9 points per game for Alabama on average. And and they won the SEC. Uh, um, you're not going to outscore as many people in the SEC as you would in the, in the Big 12. I want to – that sounds antithetical because 
The out, whole whole idea is to outscore your opponents. Therefore, you win the game. What I, what I meant by that is uh, the games aren't going to be these shootouts, 41 to 40, 38, 35. They're more in that 31, 17, 35, 21 type range, typically. Um, and so, I look, I think Texas averages 33 or 34 next year. That's a 9-10 win team in the SEC. That's my thought. Well, while we're on the subject of SEC kind of versus Big 12 top uh, questions here, Emmanuel Villafranco says, is the composition of an edge player different in the Big 12 than in the SEC? You know, that's a a few years ago, that question absolutely would have been, you know, yes. Texas has gone against some really good edge rushers in the in, in the Big 12 over the last, you know, few years. Felix Anaduke Uzuma, uh, you know, Tyree Wilson at Texas Tech, uh, Booker out of Kansas right now. I mean, these are all guys who I would say were first-round caliber guys and were picked in the first round. So a few years ago, yes, I actually think Texas having played in the Big 12 against the competition that they played on the edges is going to suit them up nicely for the SEC move. The, the interiors where you're really going to see the dogs separate themselves from what we saw in the Big 12. There will not be a, a, a team in the SEC that doesn't have an interior defensive lineman that plays in the pros with perhaps the singular exception of Vanderbilt. That is where, I mean, if you look at any kind of roster density in the NFL, the majority of NFL defensive linemen interior come from the SEC, the Big Ten, and the ACC. That's the difference. Okay, y'all. Uh, next question here. We're gonna, I know we talked about wide receivers a lot today, but there's been a lot of wide receiver-related questions. Champ Bailey says, who will play the A.D. Mitchell role? Do you think it will be Ryan Wingo? Who's to say there is an A.D. Mitchell role this year? You know, that's, that's, what, that's, that's what you and I have this. Yeah, that's that's where CJ and I have kind of come in, come to the conclusion of who says there is defined roles this year. I mean, Sark didn't really have defined roles at Alabama. He moved them all. I, I think that that's maybe what he wants: get more speed on the field and figure it out. And then Jesus asked, where do we go from here with the wide receiver position? I know we talked about Silas Bolden, but he's asking about Silas, uh, of course, Williams, and then Jalen Hale, the Alabama receiver originally from East Texas. It's a fun question to ponder. I think Ryan Williams is a take no matter what. He's a guy that, you know, is in that conversation already to being one of the best, well, uh, you know, wide receivers in the entire country in the recruiting ranks, and that's after reclassifying to the 2024 level. So he's going to be in that conversation to have a spot on the team regardless of the numbers. Uh, Silas Bolden, obviously Texas took him in uh, this past week for uh, an official visit. He's been telling, you know, several outlets. Texas is, you know, a, a very, you know, in – intriguing school for me. I think he even mentioned Texas was a top school that he had visited. He had, you know, obvious interest in Texas immediately upon entering his name in the portal. It'll be interesting. I, I think that one or one or two spots remain for those two. If Jalen Hale enters the portal, I think Texas is now at a, you know, a, a real conversation of numbers wise, because you're already in the market uh, for, you know, a 2024 wide receiver edition, as well as Silas Bolden. Will they take both? I'm not really sure. Uh, but I mean, 
it's a it's a fun problem to have with all these talented wide receivers. That's for sure. I'm not I'm not so sure Jalen Hale's a a take right now. Is the reality doesn't mean that he shouldn't be. It's just the numbers issue that that uh, CJ is talking about. I mean here here's here's what's happening right now. Texas clearly is looking for elite players. They don't need to wait on and and. Uh, uh, they don't need to sit here and wait for a guy to become a great player. It, with the portal, you can just go out and get a great player, especially at wide receiver. We've seen that two years in a row. They went out and got Adonai Mitchell. They went out and got Isaiah Bond. You can go out and get a great player at receiver. You don't necessarily want to go out into the portal and incubate a wide receiver. Jalen Hale probably would take some incubating. Why not just wait to get someone as good or better than Jalen Hale when the time comes, you know, it's different whenever you're trying to get them on your roster and kind of bring them along uh, to create that culture. It's different whenever they're only a year into their uh, roster spot as it is. Uh, the, the Alabama guy that I think that everybody needs to be aware of, and we need to close it up here pretty quick, Blake, because of everything going on, but um, is Amari Nyblack, the, the tight end. Uh, we haven't talked about him this half, this part of the, the hour. Um he is the tight end at Alabama that is officially in the portal. Uh, and I think that Texas is very, very interested there if they can get him on campus and get him interested in them. Okay. There is no doubt that that's where Texas goes next, in my opinion, uh, at Alabama. That being said, there's also Ben Urisic, the tight end at uh, Stanford, that I think Texas is also going to be interested in. So uh, tight ends a position that Texas needs to address in the portal. They need to find a defensive lineman. Maybe that comes from Arizona. Now that Arizona or Washington, they both had guys, their coaches leave. Uh, those guys could go in the portal. Uh, maybe Johnny Nansen knows one of those guys. Maybe Dwayne Aquina does. We'll see. Uh, they're not necessarily poaching from the same team uh, now that the head coaches went elsewhere. So I, I feel like uh, those are the things we need to be looking for uh, as it relates to that position or those, those things in the portal right now. Not so much worrying about Jalen Hale. And then uh, talking about Alabama portal players, um, FCJ says, if we pick up Kendrick Blackshire, what role would we project for him? Back up to Anthony Hill. Back up to uh, to to uh, David Benda. He's a downhill he's a downhill linebacker. He's, he's not apparently from talking to people, and this was his issue in, in high school too, a real thumper but lacked awareness and coverage. He's, he's gained weight and size at Alabama and strength, uh, but he hasn't shown the proclivity to play in pass coverage. So he's a downhill linebacker right now, which is okay at one position in the SEC because you have to button up against the run. Okay, guys, this will be the last question for today. And uh, Matthew says, who do y'all think will be the teams with the biggest drop-offs this year? He personally thinks Michigan, Washington, and Florida State. By the way, Jim Harbaugh will be interviewing with the Chargers later today. So that's uh, worth noting. It's a good question. It's a really good question. I'm kind of intrigued to see what LSU does at, at quarterback. You know, how does that – that play continue. Uh, that defense was obviously not very good. They did, you know, wipe house in the defensive side of the room. 
it can't be much worse than it was last year. I don't think that offense will sustain. I'm looking at teams uh, around the or around the SEC that will actually take that step up. I think at Ole Miss is in that con- conversation. Missouri returns a lot of its offensive weapons, uh, quarterback included. I think Kentucky is a sneaky good team as well to take that leap up. That's intriguing. Can I can I offer Oklahoma as a team that you know could be one that maybe stays a little stagnant or goes down as a result of quarterback play? Young quarterbacks don't necessarily uh, thrive right away in the SEC. That'll be one I'm I'm a little intrigued about early in the season. But uh, LSU, I guess, is that that one team for me where I'm kind of looking like mm, you know they weren't great. Already last year, you lose a Heisman winning quarterback that masks a lot of your issues. It's not the the a, a real you know abundance of talent on that defensive side of the ball already. You know, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, at the elite level, I would think that Michigan uh will fall off some. How much? I don't know. Uh I don't know their talent level. I just know they looked really, really good in the national championship game and looked good all year long. Um, I would also add that uh, Washington certainly is going to fall off at a fifth or sixth year quarterback. But the thing with Washington, they may take uh, Arizona's quarterback and receiver. So, you know, but I, I don't think they're going to have the, the miracle season they did this year. I think Alabama will fall off next year. Um, the, the team that I think is going to be the odds on favorite to win it all next year is Georgia. Um, Georgia. And if, if, the other one, God, can Ohio State get the quarterback position right? If they can, they've got a lot coming back. So much. Got they, they really do. Enough maybe that they can hide a quarterback at some level. Um, but if they don't get another quarterback, I don't – look, they're not going to suffer Ryan Day um, losing again to Michigan next year. They just – it doesn't work that way up north. And, yeah oh, – Keyshawn Judkins, along with Travion Henderson, they may have the two best running backs in the country next year. Yep, very true. All right, guys. Well, Bobby, before we get out of here, can you let folks know what to expect later today right here on On Texas Football? Yeah, absolutely. If we get any uh, breaking news, we'll certainly be back with other other, uh, uh, news and notes for you. Also, uh, uh, our friend Rod Babers will be joining C.J. Vogel for Talking Ball later this afternoon. Uh, and uh, you know what? I, I want to add this before I get going. So people were asking about Ty Anthony Smith and whether or not he made it to uh, campus yesterday. The answer is yes, he did. Uh, so Ty Anthony Smith uh, officially going uh, already on campus. Uh, I forgot to mention that the only recruit that's not on campus uh, that was expected is DeAndre Robinson out of Orlando Jones, the defense lineman we believe has asked for a release uh, from his NLI from the University of Texas. Okay, guys. Well, I think I've said it a million times since last week, but it's the truth. Now is the time to subscribe if you haven't already and ring that bell because there's been so much breaking news lately. That way you're notified anytime we go live, anytime we post a video for when that news breaks, you don't want to miss it. So be sure to do that. Hit that like button. We would appreciate that as well. And I got to thank John Donovan and Longhorn Wells Management Group for sponsoring today's show. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for the super chats. As Bobby said, we'll be here later today with more content right here on Texas Football. And for Bobby Burton and CJ Vogel, I'm Blake Monroe, and we'll see you tomorrow morning. Hook them. Have a good week, guys. This is the story of the one. 
As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.